Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone. On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks, including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and old-time lagers. Walters is your spot for all of the NBA playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Javier from the stretch hit deep down the right field line Tucker going over near the line looks up and it is gone Yadiel Hernandez with his third home run of the season and the three-run shot gives the Nationals a four to nothing lead bases loaded Javier fires Cruz hits it hard right center field and that one is going to go to the wall Strange Gordon Robles waving Soto in they Nationals needed this kind of bust out really badly. Swing and a looping liner in the left. That's going to be a base hit for Robles. Brantley up with it. Two runs will score on a looping single to left and two runs batted in for Victor Robles. And the Nationals have played in four more here in the bottom of the sixth inning. It's now Washington 13 and Houston 4. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, May 15th, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nats Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the 2022 Nats have done something that the 2019 World Series champion Nats could not do, and that is beat the Houston Astros at Nationals Park. Uh, the Nats on Saturday night, in fact, ended the Astros' 11-game winning streak a 13-6 hammering of the Astros at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a three-game series. The Nats this season now are 12-23, and 23, and consider the following. So the Nats are just 6-16 six and 16 since a 6-7 and seven start to the season. But here are the Nats' run totals over the team's most recent six wins now. 14, 11, 10, 7, 8, and 13. The Nats overall have not been a good offensive team this season, Mark, but the Nats can be a good offensive team. When they are, they win, and they on Saturday night were an outstanding offensive team. I think you just found the formula. I think you just broke the code. <laughs> we know what they need to do now to win. Just score double-digit runs every night and they'll win every game. Hey, you know, if only they could do this every night, but as like you said, they we have actually seen that it's not completely rare for them to do this. They just haven't done it with any consistency. 
But you can see that when they are on like this, when they're getting production from top to bottom, they have the ability to be a really productive lineup. And in this case, against a really good starting pitcher and a really good pitching staff from the Astros that remarkably had given up 12 runs during their 11-game winning streak, the Nats scored 13 runs in the first six innings of this game. So they were doing something right, and they were doing it against a really good pitching staff. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We mentioned this on the previous installment of the podcast. This Astros 11-game winning streak really had been built on the backs of the Astros pitching more so than the Astros hitting, even though the Astros hitting really is what jumps out at you. And it's just odd with this Nats team because it really does feel feast or famine with the offense. It feels like in most games this season, the offense is either asleep and doing next to nothing or the offense is actually really good. I mean, what we saw on Saturday night 13 runs, 14 hits, 5 walks, 5 of 11 with runners in scoring position. The Nats were on offensively like throughout the game. Three runs in the third, three in the fourth, two in the fifth, four in the sixth. Like, this really was about as complete of an offensive game as the Nats have had so far this season. Yeah, scoring runs in bunches and doing it in multiple innings. That's the kind of thing that we've been looking for all this time and not just doing it with singles, with extra base hits. What a revelation. If you actually hit the ball in the air hard and to a gap or, God forbid, even over the fence, look what you can do. You can score a lot of runs. So I think that was uh, especially encouraging here. And you you got it from multiple players. So you had Nelson Cruz, a huge, huge three-run double with the bases loaded. You had Yadiel Hernandez, three-run homer down the right field line. You had Michael Franco, two-run homer in addition to a double. And you even had Victor Robles with a two-run single to cap off the scoring. When you've got Victor producing out of the nine spot, you know it's been a good night for the team offensively. So when you get all of that and you sustain it, I do think this is a lineup that in the end we're going to say is at least league average, maybe even better than league average. I, I honestly believe that. As the weather heats up, as we see guys get more comfortable, it looks like Nelson Cruz is figuring some things out finally. That makes a big difference. Yadiel Hernandez, when he's in there, is making a difference. Uh, Cabert Ruiz has been solid. You know, Juan Soto still isn't really Juan Soto yet. So they're scoring 13 runs without him uh, doing a whole lot. Then I, I do believe that ultimately this lineup is not going to be the issue with the team. I think it's going to be the pitching staff and probably the defense as well, which we saw was kind of a problem tonight. I'm sure we'll get to that here eventually. Yes, we will. More sloppiness from the Nats in the field on Saturday night. You know, it's funny, too, the Nats won through three batters on Saturday night. Really didn't do much. Cesar Hernandez, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, a combined two for 11 with three walks. Now, Soto did have a double and two walks, so, you know, he more or less did his part. But the production, like you said, came kind of from like batters four through nine in a lot of ways. And it was good. It was it was nice to see something like this. The Nats were really good offensively in this game. Uh, five different Nats each had at least two hits. Three different Nats each had at least three RBI. You mentioned Nelson Cruz. I mean, we could start with Yadiel Hernandez, but I think given kind of the bigger picture here of this season and what Nelson Cruz was supposed to be, I think what he did was probably the most significant uh, individual performance on Saturday night. So Nelson, three for four with that three-run double, two singles, and a walk. He and the Nats, one run first, drew a two-out four-pitch walk. Three-run third, a two-out single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. And then the big blow, three-run Nats fourth, a two-out full-count bases loaded opposite field, three-run double off the right center field wall for a 7-2 Nats lead. Some of you listening may know this. I'm guessing more than a few of you, though, do not. 
That was Nelson Cruz's first double of the season. Now think about that for a moment. He's been your number three or number four batter for so much of this year. He's hit a handful of homers, but otherwise it's been nothing but singles and the occasional walk. Zero doubles for Nelson Cruz coming into this game on Saturday night. That's inexcusable. You can't function like that as a team, and yet the Nats have been functioning like that. So hopefully this is the first of many doubles to come for Nelson Cruz. But boy, if that doesn't capture the kind of season he had been having, I don't know what does. No doubles until Saturday night. But what a double that was, and what a game that was. He added on a single to center field in the Nats' four-run sixth. He is looking better. And, you know, like we say with a lot of these guys, got to see more. But for now, you are starting to feel better about Nelson Cruz. Yeah, and look, we're talking a full week now. So his last seven games, he's hitting 400 with that double you just mentioned, two homers, eight RBI, and four walks. So he's also still being patient, not chasing pitches. He's got the batting average back up to 200 for the first time in several weeks. So that's a good sign. He had the two hardest hit balls of the entire game. The double was 112.3 miles an hour. The single earlier was actually the harder at 113.8. So those are all really good signs. And that double, I actually think, might be the final confirmation that he's got this figured out. And the reason I say that is he took an outside pitch. It was even off the plate a little bit and stayed on it and drove it to right center field. And as Davey said, uh, he thought it was going to take the wall down. He hit it so hard. We know he can turn on an inside pitch and hit it out of the park. His handful of home runs have been that. If he can stay on the outside pitch and drive it that way, that to me, that's sort of like the last piece of the puzzle. If you're doing that, now you're covering both sides of the plate. We've seen it now for a full week. Obviously, he's 41 years old. You're not going to assume anything that he can sustain it. But I feel like we had been seeing more and more signs over the last week of this. And I thought this game was the culmination of it. And I would not be surprised if we could see him take off from this point because he's not just doing it one way. He's doing it in multiple ways uh, and in ways that you need to be able to do because you know they're not always just going to give you a fastball in the inner half of the plate. You can always email the podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got a great email from Owen Ranger on the Nats' offensive struggles. Now, this obviously is dated with what the Nats did on Saturday night, but he made usage of a lot of great stats from fan graphs. And kind of the overall point is a lot of guys are hitting for weak contact this year. A lot of guys are hitting way too many ground balls. And he asked the question, well, you have a new hitting coach here. The previous hitting coach, Kevin Long, is like, you know, the guru of the launch angle. And you do wonder about something like that. Now, you know, I don't think that the Nats' new hitting coach is uh, not telling guys to elevate baseballs. Like, that's a common thing now throughout baseball. But, you know, it is interesting to note, like, the Nats have had a real hard time this year, a lot of guys had, in terms of elevating balls. And so, if that's finally starting to happen with Nelson Cruz, that's such a good sign. And, you know, you just think about things logically. I mean, Nelson Cruz is built like a tank. You know, he's one of the bigger sluggers you'll see. He's been a big, like, weightlifter for years. Remember, he had the uh, the biogenesis thing uh, years ago. But he keeps himself in great shape. All he, If he just can start elevating baseballs, they're going to go a long way. Like, I was thinking about this. When's the last time the Nats had two burly sluggers like Cruz and Bell in their lineup on the regular like they do this year? We've seen some bigger guys in the past, like Adam Dunn was big, Michael Morris was big. But to have two guys like that in your lineup on an everyday basis this year, and it's not like Juan Soto is some tiny guy either. Like, you got some real size in this Nats lineup. And I actually think that that can really help you because – 
you don't necessarily have to barrel up every baseball to hit it away. It's like Cruz can do that. So if he just starts getting balls up in the air, a lot of good things could start to happen. Yeah, the only other trio I can think of that's maybe as physically as imposing was, I'm going to say, Adam Dunn, Ryan Zimmerman, and Josh Willingham maybe would be one. Or actually, let's go further back to the glory years. Willie Mo Pena, Lastings Millage, and Elijah Dukes. Now, that didn't quite work out the way that Jim Bowden thought it would, but they looked good. They looked great at the plate. They looked great in batting practice uh, until the game actually started. But no, I agree. I mean, when you have imposing hitters like that, again, you get the ball in the air, it makes all the difference. Cruz was hitting the ball hard. It was just on the ground. He was not elevating it. So there was that. You know, we've seen Bell... Even as good as he's been, he's hitting into a lot of double plays as well. So he's still not really hitting the ball up in the air quite the same way that he normally would. And we know that Juan Soto isn't all the way there. And I thought it was interesting. By the end of this game, Soto pops up in his last at bat. They're way ahead. They're up by uh, nine runs, I think, at this point. He slams his bat to the ground. Like he was upset with himself because he knows he's not there yet. And he almost probably felt like, hey, I've got a free at bat in a blowout game. I'm going to try to do everything I can with this one. And he kind of squandered it. So... You, you do expect him to get better at this. We know Josh Bell's been outstanding. We see Cruz now. We see Yadiel Hernandez. There is some potential here, but I agree. It's about getting the ball in the air, and that's the thing they have been asking for and preaching for. Uh, and I think you're starting to see that, especially as the, warm, the weather warms up. You get the ball in the air. It is going to travel, and I think you'll see more extra base hits and more runs scored by this lineup. Well, you mentioned Yadiel Hernandez, another good game for him this season on Saturday night. He was an at starting left fielder and number five batter, two for five with a three run homer and an RBI single. He did also have a bad error. We'll get to that uh, in a bit here. But Yadiel in the Nats, one run first, a two out RBI single on a grounder to right center field on a one two pitch to put the Nats up. One nothing, And then the big blow from Yadiel came in that Nats three-run third inning, a two-out, three-run homer to right field near the right field foul pole for a 4 nothing Nats lead. Now, the homer only went a projected 357 feet per stat cast, but you know what? Whatever. It's still a home run. It counts. Uh, so Yadiel ends up having another big game. You know, the defense is the concern, and what happened in that Astros two-run eighth was really bad. I mean, that was not a good look for Yadiel Hernandez. He committed a fielding error. As he on the warning track, dropped a fly ball off the bat of Nico Goodrum on an 0-2 pitch from Tanner Rainey to begin the inning. I mean, that was a that's a pretty bad error. That's about as bad of an error as you'll see. That's a routine fly ball. I get that it's deep on the track, but still, I mean, that that's a catch you have to make, and he doesn't make it. So, I don't know. Maybe it's the fielding, but... He is on such a run. He's been on this run for a while. We're still not seeing him on an every game basis. Like we're seeing more of him than we have seen in the past, but it's not an every game uh, ordeal. Do you think it's as simple as just the defense and that's why we don't see more of him? Or do you think the hitting is at a point now to where Davies just going to have to make Yadiel the everyday left fielder? He has been a tremendous batter for this team so far this year. Yeah, he has. And I think we're close to the point that he is every day, if not, you know, 100% of the time, pretty close to it. I think you'll still see some calculated times, maybe when they're facing a lefty, maybe on a day that they still want to give Lane Thomas opportunities. If he's not playing at all, it's not going to do him any good in his development. They're still trying to figure out, is Lane Thomas a part of this piece going forward or not? That what we saw from him last year was so great. And what we're seeing so far is not at all that. Well, you're going to give up on him already or you do want to give him some opportunities. So I think you'll still find the occasional start for him both in left and in center. But I agree what Yadiel is doing right now deserves regular playing time, if not almost every day. And I think the key 
of how he's been able to earn that is we always knew he could hit fastballs. We talked about it last year. He struggled with off-speed stuff with breaking balls. There were the two big at-bats from him tonight. He did a great job with breaking balls. And the first at-bat, he's got two strikes on him. He fouls off a slider. He fouls off a curveball, gets him to then throw him the fastball, and he hits it right back up the middle for a a two-out RBI single. That's a great at-bat. And then the home run, like you said, he pulled it. That was a slider inside and he turns on it and hits it into the bullpen. And it was funny, he was talking about after the game how he's gotten to know Martin Maldonado, the Astros catcher, uh, a little bit. They've become friends. He said, he smiles as he says this, he knew he knows that Maldonado knows he can't hit breaking balls, or that's the reputation. So he has come into this series expecting to see a lot of breaking balls, and he took particular satisfaction in producing on that, especially a three-run homer on a slider in this game. So we're seeing the maturation of him. I, I, he's 34 years old, but he's still learning as a big league hitter. And all those things that maybe prevented him from being up here at this point prior to now, he is putting it together. Now, if he can't make plays in the field, it's going to be tough to stay up here for long, at least not with Nelson Cruz as your DH. So that is ultimately something he's going to have to get better at because that was an ugly play. But when he's hitting like this, you can live with it. And I do think we're going to see him, if not every day, pretty close to every day in the lineup now. Yeah, I mean, he is a DH. You know, that's what he is. And to me, age 34 season, like he's not getting better defensively. Like this is just who he is. So you just got to kind of close your eyes, cross your fingers and hope balls aren't hit to him with any kind of frequency. But he's been on a plate appearance for plate appearance basis. One of the Nats best hitters this season. His OPS for the year now is at 903. I mean, for comparison's sake, Josh Bell's OPS is 918. Soto's is 916. Yadiel is right in that neighborhood with what he's done this season. He just hasn't played as much as those guys. Yadiel has totaled 96 plate appearances the entire year. He's not even up to 100 plate appearances. But you know, he really is the Nats position player this year who is forcing his way into the lineup. If there's a disappointment, and I mean, there are multiple disappointments with this Nats season, but one of the principal ones from a bigger picture perspective is that you don't have, say, like Elaine Thomas forcing his way or a Victor Robles playing so well to where, okay, you feel so much better about him and he's got to be your everyday center fielder, even though he kind of is, but he's, he's that by default as much as anything. Yadiel is the guy who's played so well, batted so well, to where he's forced his way into more playing time, which is what you obviously want to see with a rebuilding team. And I give him a lot of credit because uh, the Nats haven't had enough of that this year. Guys playing so well to where they are commanding more playing time. Yeah, uh, you know, you you wish he was five years younger and maybe he's really a part of the long-term plan. Unfortunately, he's not, but who knows? It's funny, Nelson Cruz even mentioned that he didn't really get his big break and really start start doing a lot until he was 29 years old. So, you know, maybe there's hope for Yadiel beyond this year that he can still be part of this. Like you said, it's probably in the long run going to have to be as a DH. Perhaps by uh, July 31st, there'll be an availability for a DH around here on a more regular basis, and he'll take over those responsibilities. But I give him a lot of credit. He's worked really hard his entire career to get to this point, and I'm glad to see that he is um, reaping the benefits of it. A lot of people root for him within the organization because they know the path that he's taken to get here. Yeah, and he himself could be a trade ship. I mean, we don't know how the Nats are viewing him long term, but I mean, wouldn't that be something if they keep Nelson Cruz and trade and trade Yadiel? I mean, go figure how that could work out. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that one doesn't happen. Probably not. Nelson is on essentially a one-year deal, so that's probably not happening. 
Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202 486 3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. As Bill Maton delivers to Michael Franco on a drive to deep left center field. This is way back. Going, going. It is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Michael Franco. As the Nationals pour it on here in the bottom of the fifth inning, it's now Washington 9 and Houston 3. Well, speaking of trade chips, could it be that Michael Franco is playing his way into being some kind of a trade chip? For the Nats. Franco was kind of part three of this uh, Nats offensive triumvirate in this win over the Houston Astros on Saturday night. Uh, Franco, as an Nats starting third baseman, a number seven batter, two for five with a two run homer and an RBI double. Uh, he did strike out three times, but Franco in that Nats two run fifth, a first pitch two run homer to center field for a 9 3 Nats lead, the homer going a projected. 413 feet per stat cast. And then Franco in the Nats 4 run sixth, a one-out RBI double toward the left field corner to give the Nats an 11-4 lead. So more production from Michael Franco. He is now tied with Josh Bell for number one on the team in runs batted in on the year with 21. And Franco has a 717 OPS. That's not great, but you know, that's also functional. Like you can kind of operate with that. He's been really good with runners in scoring position. And he certainly has had a number of hits that have driven in runs, and he did it again here uh, on Saturday night. Listen, given the situation that they are in, and and we're in to start the season with Carter Keeboom out for multiple months with an elbow injury and nobody else really on the roster who could play third base, and he ends up having to be the guy by default, you take this and you are thrilled with what you've gotten from him. No, he's not perfect. There's been some mistakes in the field, some notable ones. Uh, he's still such a big swinger that there are the occasional at-bats that you're like, just tone it down a little bit, try to just get the bat on the ball. But for the better part, he has come through for them, especially like you said, with runners in scoring position. He's hit for some power. If they can get by with him as their number seven hitter, like he was in this game, and he's delivering two big hits with three RBI for them, you take that. You're thrilled with that. I don't know that he has a whole lot of trade value. I mean, I think we know what kind of player he is at this stage of his career. I don't know how much you're going to get for him in return if it comes to that. Uh, And to be honest, they can't even afford to trade him until Carter Keeboom is healthy because they don't have another third baseman in the organization that I know of. 
But good for him. He has delivered. They've needed it from him. It makes a difference when you have some kind of production from the bottom of your lineup. And he's done that, you know, admirably. Yes. Well, I always now apply the John Lester principle to anyone in terms of potential trade value. And that is you never say never, because if Lester can be traded, then anybody can be traded. Yeah, but the return on that trade isn't looking as good as it was a few months back. No, although what you got from Lane Thomas last year, that's more than you could have ever anticipated getting for Lester with where he was at the time of that trade last year. So that trade already has worked out. It's and anything beyond that is kind of gravy, but yeah, it has been disappointing with Lane Thomas so far this season. There's no question about that. Well, the other Nat on Saturday night who had multiple runs batted in was, in fact, Victor Robles. Uh, Victor Robles on Saturday night went two for four with a two-run single and a bun single. Also, though, had a bad defensive moment. The two hits for Robles, three-run fourth, a first-pitch bunt single on a great bunt toward the right side of the infield. And then Robles in the Nats, four-run six, a two-out, two-run single to left field to give the Nats a 13-4 lead. So good to see this. I mean, he really has not done much offensively since the great weekend in San Francisco. So at least he gets himself a couple of hits. But that defensive moment. So this came in the Astros' two-run fourth inning. This ball is skied on the right side. Robles looking, now coming in, and it drops. Robles was standing still, almost like it was coming right at him. Then out of nowhere, he started sprinting in, and he was nowhere near the ball. As it lands in short right center field. Robles, I guess he just completely lost this fly ball off the bat of Kyle Tucker. This was like a lazy fly ball in shallow right center field. Uh, Ended up going down as a one-out first pitch double by Tucker off Eric Fetty. We've talked about this before. How a play like that is not an error, at least a team error. It's so ridiculous that Fetty gets charged with giving up a double on a play like that. That's basically a routine fly ball. But what happened? He just lost the ball in the sky? What what do you think went on there? As best as I can tell, he lost it in the twilight. Uh, It wasn't the lights because the ball was up high enough in the air. It was above the lights. What was so strange is Now, I'm watching it from the complete opposite angle from high above home plate. The ball goes up in the air and Robles just kind of sits there and camps like, I know this is coming exactly to me and I don't have to move a muscle and I'm going to play it cool and just catch it. And instead, he never had it at all and it landed, you know, 30 feet in front of him. And I think what you'd rather have happen in that case, if you honestly don't see the ball, you need to be vocal about it. You need to be animated about it so your teammates know and somebody else can get over there to try to help you out. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Now, it, it didn't, you know, severely cost them. Like you said, it did a run, you know, that goes to Fetty on that, you know, could have been a lot worse, I guess. But it must have been a tough sky because I thought on the play before that it was another fly ball to center. I happened to see Soto kind of throw his arms out on that one as if he didn't see it. The ball wasn't hit to him, but he maybe thought for a moment that it was kind of in his direction and it wasn't at all. It's weird. We have the sun monster here, as Bryce Harper used to call it. Usually late in the season and day games, you have that for the outfield. I don't ever remember the twilight being an issue here. So I don't know what's going on there, but if you're Robles and that happens, you've got to be more demonstrative about it and let everyone else know that you don't actually have the ball in your sights so somebody can bail you out. There was another play, in some ways I think was worse by him. In the seventh inning, Yuri Gurriel hits a base hit. It's a clean hit to left center. Robles comes over to it, and then he's kind of slow to get the ball, and Gurriel turns on the Jets and ends up with a hustle double out of it. That can't happen. Now, it's a blowout game at that point. It doesn't really make a difference, but you've got to play every 
at bat as though the game is on the line because eventually you're going to be in a situation where it does matter and you need to have it in your head that you always go after every ball hard. So Victor's been great defensively this year. Let's give him credit for that. But on this night, that was a, a really careless mistake on his part. Yeah. The other thing, too, with that Kyle Tucker double, like I said, it was shallow right center. Juan Soto didn't seem to move on the play. I, I don't know. Maybe he lost the ball, too, but you would think he would at least come charging in initially and kind of wait to see what happens with it. It looked like both he and Robles just kind of stood there and like maybe they neither guy saw the baseball. But yeah, so ended up being a double uh, for Kyle Tucker. A few other offensive standouts. Cape Ruiz on Saturday night, two for four with two singles and a walk. So he got on base three times. And I want to mention this about D. Strange Gordon. So he was an ad starting shortstop on Saturday night. He, in the three-run fourth, had a leadoff infield single. And I'll say this about D. Strange Gordon. Man, he can run. And he, on that play, he hits a slow roller toward first base, ends up outrunning the baseball, sliding headfirst into first base, and basically steals a single on that play. You know, I said earlier that uh, Nelson Cruz is built like a tank. D. Strange Gordon is one of the skinnier baseball players you'll ever see. He's straight out of 1982 with how he's built, okay? But the guy can run, and that was a pretty impressive thing that he did. You know, this like swinging bunt essentially toward first base, and he outruns the grounder uh, to get himself a single. So I want to talk to you about that little rally there. What started, it, the Cruz double finished it, but what set it up was the ultimate small ball. You had the essentially swinging bunt from D. Strange Gordon. You have an actual bunt from Robles that he beat out, a push bunt to the right side. Then a sacrifice bunt from Cesar Hernandez to bring Juan Soto, to put two runners in scoring position for Soto. They pitch around Soto to walk him, load the bases. Bell pops up and then Cruz with the big hit. Didn't we just 24 hours ago talk about the 1985 Cardinals? And if this team thinks that's a way to win games, they probably don't have the personnel for it. Well, for that briefest of moments there, they actually had the right personnel and they executed it really well. And I got to say, it was kind of fun to watch because that's a little different style that we don't always see. If D. Strange Gordon, Victor Robles, and Cesar Hernandez can do that and set up the big boys behind them, I'm okay with that if they can execute it properly. That was kind of fun. It worked, you know, it, it, it played out exactly as it was supposed to play out going into the season. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff for the Nationals offensively on Saturday night. It was nice to have a game like that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the set of the pitch. Swing a ground ball. Up the middle. Strange Gordon has it. Steps on second. Jump throw to first. Double play! A double play and Fetty's out of the inning. The defensive positioning of the shortstop pays off. Fetty gets his second double play of the year. 
And the Nationals are out of the inning. Well, Eric Fetty was the Nats starting pitcher on Saturday night. And uh, I think the way that you describe this is Eric Fetty labored on Saturday night. Uh, he ended up lasting for just four innings. He allowed three runs in the four innings. He, over the four innings, threw 82 pitches, just 46 strikes versus 36 balls. He gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He issued three walks. He did have six strikeouts, which obviously played a role in that pitch count being driven up. But it was an odd outing. He had to work for like everything. He did begin his outing with three scoreless innings, but he tossed a scoreless top of the first despite issuing three consecutive one-out walks to load the bases. And if you watch the game, uh, you perhaps recognize this. The three straight one-out walks came on a total of just 14 pitches. So we over those three batters threw two strikes versus 12 balls, which that's something you almost never see. Two strikes versus 12 balls for a pitcher over any stretch of 14 pitches. Uh, he gave up two runs in that top of the fourth. Uh, yes, he had the unluckiness with the Kyle Tucker double, but he also gave up a one-out RBI double to Yuli Gurriel and a one-out RBI single to Aledmus Diaz. And then Fetty in the top of the fifth gave up some shot to Jose Siri, a leadoff homer. Hey, Siri, uh, Siri went deep on Fetty in this inning. Uh, a shot to center field cut the Nats' lead to 7-3. Uh, the homer went and projected 427 feet per stat cast. Fetty then got pulled by Davey Martinez in favor of Josh Rogers. Uh, you know, we've seen this from Fetty before where he has to work for like everything that he does. You know, it could have been worse. That's true. But uh, obviously, I, I, th I think it was disappointing because he's been pitching pretty well and he did not pitch well on Saturday night. No, and this is two in a row now like this. Now in Anaheim, it was a similar situation where five innings was five walks. He kept getting himself in the jams and he kept getting out of it. So credit to him for finding a way to do that, kind of like he did in this one. But that's no way to uh, live life over the long run. You've got to be uh, more efficient. I mean, the first inning, he ends up with 22 pitches, seven strikes in a scoreless first inning. Fewer than 33% of his pitches are strikes. You, you just can't do that and somehow survive. I, I still don't know how he did it. Although, let's give some credit here. After he loads the bases, Jim Hickey comes to the mound for a mound conference. And according to Fetty, he says to him, hey, you're one pitch away from getting out of the inning. What did he do? One pitch, ground ball up the middle, D-Strange Gordon, nice play, 6-3 double play, inning over. So I do think there is some maturation here from Fetty to not let those innings get out of control, maybe the way they did in the past. But he was searching for it, and he has his last two starts. He does not have this command of hardly anything. That's not good. He ultimately does need to have some feel for his pitches and not be fighting this uphill battle. He has survived in spite of all this. But his last two starts, he's got nine innings, only six hits allowed, three runs, and one of those was because of the Robles ball lost in the twilight. Eight walks, 10 strikeouts, 174 pitches, 96 strikes in nine innings of work. That's not going to work <laughs> in the long run. He's got to clean this up. And as we do get to a point here where uh, there are some other starting pitching options for the Nationals, maybe in a few weeks away from that happening, Everybody who's in the current rotation has got to make sure they don't give management a reason to bump them out of the rotation. Not saying that's going to happen to Fetty, but if he continues on this path, he's going to at least leave the door open for that possibility. Yeah, what's interesting, too, is that these last two outings have come against two powerhouse lineups. His last start was that 5-4 walk-off loss at the Angels last Sunday. And, you know, we know what the Angels are capable of doing. We obviously know what the Astros are capable of doing. So, yeah, I mean, it could, it could have been much worse. And to that extent, I think he does get some credit for that. But, 
you know, that game last Sunday at the Angels, five scoreless innings despite issuing five walks. Like, that's dangerous, man. You're walking a tightrope with that. And, you know, we saw something similar on Saturday night. And so Davey Martinez had to have another game here in which he used five relievers. You know, this game was, it was an odd game in a lot of ways. The Nats hit, right? But I don't know about you, you didn't feel great about the Nats winning this game until the latter innings of the game because the game had this feeling of, you know, one of these softball affairs that are back and forth, seesaw matchup, and the game is never quite in hand until deep into the game. Well, Davey used five relievers on Saturday night. The five relievers combined to allow three runs, one earned in five innings. But the relievers had issues. I mean, the the relievers combined to give up seven hits, a walk, and a hit by pitch. Josh Rogers, top of the fifth, faced four batters, got three out, so he was good. Steve Ciszek in the top of the sixth gave up a run on four singles. Carl Edwards Jr. did toss the scoreless top of the seventh. Tanner Rainey allowed two runs in the top of the eighth. Both of them were unearned thanks to that fielding error by Yadiel Hernandez, but also from Rainey in that inning was him giving up a one-out RBI triple to Jose Siri uh, down the left field line on a 1-2 pitch, and then Erasmo Ramirez tossed the scoreless top of the ninth. I got a kick out of Tanner Rainey being used in almost like mop-up duty. You know, if you didn't know better, you would think Tanner Rainey is the last guy in the bullpen, that he's just a mop-up guy, and obviously he's not. In theory, he's the number one guy in the bullpen, but we've seen him so infrequently that Davey felt like he had to give him some work on Saturday night. So he hadn't pitched since the blown save Sunday in Anaheim, just because the situation hadn't arisen uh, since then. That's not good from the team standpoint, of course. And I did think it was interesting. Yeah, he didn't even save him for the ninth. He wanted him in the eighth. And that was the ending with the Yadiel Hernandez issues and all that. So Tanner actually threw the ball pretty well, a couple of strikeouts. So, you know, good. But he needs more consistent work. There's no way to think that he's going to be an elite late-inning reliever if you're pitching once a week. It's just hard to sustain any rhythm or momentum doing that. So even if this team is not ahead late in games, they're just going to have to find a way to get Rainey in there more. The other inning I want to talk about, the C-check inning in the sixth, and I agree. This is where I was like, this game is not over yet. And it's 9-3 to three when the inning starts. It ends up 9-4, to four, and the bases are loaded with two outs for Alex Bregman who we know with one swing of the bat can turn this into a one-run game. Ciszek, to his credit, comes through a big strikeout on a pitch on the outside corner, maybe even a little bit off the outside corner. He got the call. I feel like there have not been very many, if any, clean innings from Steve Ciszek this year, a guy who's supposed to be a reliable veteran reliever for them, and it has been a bit of an adventure. He hasn't been great against left-handed hitters uh, as the side-arming right-hander. You know, this is a guy that we thought is going to have a big role and potentially a trade chip come July. And uh, he needs to be a little more consistent here, have some more quick innings, clean innings. He ended up throwing 25 pitches in that inning, giving up four hits. Now, he threw 20 strikes, so he's around the zone. But when he is in the zone, he's getting hit kind of hard. It feels like he's always right on the verge of it all collapsing on him. And uh, there's some things he needs to clean up, I think. Yeah, so the Nats signed Steve Ciszek to a mere one-year, $1.75 million contract. I think that that's kind of telling, that other teams saw him and maybe weren't in love with him. You know, this is kind of like the Will Harris thing, where he does have a track record, but he's an older guy. This is his age 36 season. And if you look at what he did, say, last year with the Angels, some of the like bottom line results were okay. Like, the you know, the, the ERA plus was 131, which is pretty good for a reliever, although not great. But like his whip last year, which is a pretty telling stat for a reliever, was 149. Like that's pretty high for a reliever. His walks per nine innings was 5.4. That's pretty high for a reliever. So, 
Yeah, I'm with you, though, because I said that same thing to myself watching the game. I'm like, man, this guy C-Shack really hasn't been that impressive so far this year. Yeah, so we'll see. The bullpen, it feels like you're kind of just holding on tight, you know, and just hoping to ride this out because this season is going to be tough with the starting pitching. And I think by and large, the bullpen has been okay. But yeah, it's hard to have like true trust in it, you know, and especially when you're using five guys, like we always say, it's hard to have five guys all on in a given game. And I thought you saw that on Saturday night. Each guy sort of had his problems. Josh Rogers is pretty good, but otherwise, but even he issued a walk. Like guys come in and they're not good to go. And this was one of those games on Saturday night in which both teams were hitting pretty well. And so the environment was such that a lot of runs could be given up and a lot of hits were given up for sure. Yeah, this is the kind of game that I think we both expected to see more of this year from this team. There haven't been a lot of them, as a matter of fact, but uh, maybe we're going to see more of them as the summer plays out. What I'd like to see, and they just haven't been in a good position for this, is there just have not been that many games where you could say, okay, starter goes six. Now let's go seven, eight, nine, pick your three best relievers, match them up however you think is most effective, and go out and try to win the game. It just has not really happened. They haven't been in that position. There was that brief stretch very early on when often they were only getting five innings from their starter, but that was enough. And you had Doolittle and Harvey and Ciszek and Finnegan and Rainey, and they were getting the job done. But that was very short-lived. Doolittle and Harvey got hurt. And since then, they just have not been in a position a lot of times to do it. The closest they had to it was that game in Anaheim when everything looked great until Rainey with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. But you want more opportunities for those guys. Finnegan at times has looked great. We just haven't seen them a lot because there just haven't been the opportunity. So it starts with the starters. They just haven't had a lot of games where you get a good start, enough offense, and now you hold a lead going into the later innings where now you can match up and use the right guys you want. Let's see how that works once they finally have the situations that line up right for that. Yeah, and specific to Rainey, Davey just has to force it, okay, and just put him into games. And if it happens to be that a save situation arises and Rainey is too fatigued to work that game, okay, fine. Like, the wins and losses don't matter this season anyway, but if you are really trying to develop him and see what you have in him, and maybe trade him at some point, like, give him the work. He's not, like... You know, it was one thing a few weeks ago when he wasn't getting a lot of work. We're now almost a quarter of the way into the season. Like, you know, you got to figure it out now, okay? So in spots in which you're going to put in a C-Sheck or a Carl Edwards or a Victor Arano, put in Tanner Rainey. Like, make yourself do that. I don't think this has to be so complicated. He shouldn't be going a week almost or six days, whatever it was, between appearances if, in fact, you value him the way that we feel like the Nats do value him, and that is seeing him as a potential back end of the bullpen dominant guy. Yeah, I agree. And I think maybe the answer to this is in a game like this, if you have the heart of the opposing lineup coming up, even if it's the sixth, even if it's the seventh inning, go ahead and set up Rainey for that. He needs to pitch in those spots. He's probably your best option anyways. But on top of that, it's good experience for him uh, if you are trying to develop him ultimately to be an important late inning reliever, even the closer for you on a winning team in a few years. He's not going to get that, you know, if he doesn't have those opportunities. So yeah, maybe it is picking the biggest spot earlier in a game and just having him do it and then knowing you have, say, Finnegan as a fallback option if you do end up needing somebody for the ninth. Well, the Nats have an opportunity to win this series over the Astros. And as we've noted with the Nats, right, they won a series at Atlanta earlier this year, won a series at San Francisco earlier this year. To beat the Astros at Nationals Park, again, the Astros came into this series on fire 
that would be a pretty cool thing to be able to say, to say nothing of, you know, what happened to the World Series and the cheating Astros and Dusty Baker being the manager and everything like that. Now, the pitching matchup for Game 3 on Sunday at 135 is an intriguing one. Justin Verlander, who's been outstanding so far this year, versus Patrick Corbin. Verlander already seems like the runaway winner for Comeback Player of the Year. Didn't pitch at all last year, coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, He's been lights out so far this season. Corbin, though, as we have discussed, has been good to varying degrees in each of his last three starts. Since that debacle against the Giants at Nationals Park on April 22nd, he actually has been pretty good. So this will be a big-time test for where we are in the saga of Corbin. As the Corbin turns, a soap opera we've been following for years now, facing the Astros at Nationals Park, dueling with Verlander. You know, if he pitches well in this game, then I think you can maybe start to feel like, all right, what Davey said weeks ago that Corbin is back, maybe in fact is true. But this is, this is, I think, an intriguing game and an intriguing matchup on Sunday. I agree. I think this is the, the best real test now of where is Patrick Corbin. Good signs up to this point. It's been a few favorable matchups. Obviously, Riley Adams working with him has seemed to help things. But now you're going up against the big boy lineup of the Astros. Now, it doesn't mean he has to dominate them. But if he can give him a quality start from this, and I'm even use the literal sense of a quality start, six innings, three runs. If he can do that, be effective, getting ahead in the count with the fastball, have some good sliders that put away hitters. Now you are starting to think that they may have fixed something here and maybe he can really salvage what to this point had looked like a disaster over the last couple of years. But that's a big challenge. And he's going to have to try to step up and do this against a very good Astros lineup. And on the flip side, Verlander just had a no-hit bid the other day in his last start. He is as good as ever, which is remarkable, given that he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, given his age, everything. He's sort of the American League Max Scherzer. And remember, they were teammates, they were rotation mates in Detroit for a long time. Kind of parallel careers in some ways. Verlander's had more injuries uh, along the way more recently, but he's still got a lot left in him, it seems like. And I would imagine he's going to be up for a big start. And I think Dusty knowing the way he manages, is going to be more than happy to let Justin Verlander go as far into this game as he needs to go uh, if he's dominating. Justin Verlander this season, his age 39 season, off Tommy John, six starts, ERA of 155, whip of 0.64. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, We get a lot of smart tweets and emails from you guys. We appreciate all of them. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well. Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday mornings, uh, Sunday mornings at 9 on 1061 ESPN in Richmond. You can listen online at ESPNRichmond.com and Sunday mornings at 9 on Sports Radio 965 FM at 850 AM in the Hampton Roads area. You can listen online at Sports Radio 965 FM.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Gurriel at first, no balls, two strikes. Corbin fires, swinging a tapper, third base side of the mound. Corbin off the hill, has it, he gloves, he throws. He's out at first, and the side retired. Patrick Corbin has pitched two scoreless innings out of the bullpen, and he sends the World Series to the eighth inning. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.